sit down, shut up, and hang on to your seats, cause this is going off with Rap Critic and Muse. <laughs> One thing I think we can both relate to was something you'd look forward to in addition to every new Weird Al album. Your boy would do Al TV. You remember Al TV? Oh, yeah, of course. I specifically remember, like, hearing about, you know, like, see, hearing about, like, the past ones and seeing clips of it. And then when the new one came out for the Poodle Hat album being like, oh, my God, I can't wait. I gotta watch it. You know, and I recorded it on my DVR and shit. Yeah, yeah. The first one I remember seeing was for Running With Scissors, which was the 99 one. So it had, like, the saga begins and all that. And I remember about that block, very specifically, that he played a Ben Folds 5 music video, which was not new. It was at least five years old at that point. And a Bjork music video that was animated by the people that did the uh, old Ren and Stimpy animation. Like, that kind of, like... 90s gross out kind of aesthetic what i thought was really cool about that was that it had a sense of wow these are music videos that mtv wouldn't normally be showing oh of course it had the sense of al would always say like i'm gonna play the videos that i want to watch and it almost kind of had that sense just a real quick rundown of the rise and fall of this concept because i think it's fascinating the the first few it's just Al in a room, and he's spoofing, like, everything about MTV, from the contests to the way the VJs talk to... Which is about, oh, I, I really want to go back and see that now, <laughs> just to see how he lampoons it. <laughs> There's even a few, like, commercial spoofs that made fun of, like, the really cheap shit they used to hawk on MTV mm -hmm. back before they would get, like, really big sponsors. It was really like, wow, they invited him on and he is just making fun of their whole <laughs> shit. This is so great. And the videos you'd see were like, really like, either they, they weren't always novelty. They were sometimes, but sometimes they were just like, kind of obscure new wave. And it was like, this is kind of cool. I probably wouldn't have seen this. Otherwise, I know this wasn't in rotation. A few years down the line, though, it starts getting a little less that... And eventually, I want to say it was for the one for Bad Hair Day, the whole gimmick is just, we play the music video of a song that Al parodied, and then the video for the Al parody. First, I get to play a video that isn't so funny, and then I get to play my parody of it, and then like another unfunny video, and then my parody of it. And I do that like over and over for two hours. Isn't that great? How do I think of these things? <laughs> there is seriously one LTV where he just plays the music video for a live by Pearl Jam and then like a, like it, it was when you could tell MTV was becoming a big fuck deal yeah they didn't like, really care about like oh let's have this uh you know kooky silly guy on to do something really different it's just like oh yeah this is the guy but don't look it's the 90s now don't be too alright and we got we got a business to run <laughs> something else I really liked and I was able to find Find a few episodes of was that they would do guest VJs and it was like, hey, here's Dan Aykroyd here to promote some real shit movie from like 83. <laughs> Fucking Dragnet or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's still kind of riding the Saturday Night Live coattails. He's still doing the wild and crazy guys voice. And, and if you don't remember me, I was on Saturday Night Live and those shows, we did them a long, long time ago, but kids are walking up to me now and, and saying, hey, Dan, you're great on television. I got to say, hey, 
You know, we did those shows so long ago that I feel like an old man. What's a dinosaur like me doing in a modern music television studio like this? I don't know. I haven't figured it out, but I'm glad I'm here. They just let this person be in a studio on camera and no one else in the room. I know there's people behind the cameras, but you don't ever see them. So it's just, hey, person who's never done this before and is completely foreign to the whole music video channel concept, try to be a VJ for a while. And Dan Aykroyd is just like... Hey, I got this hat. You see this hat? <laughs> I got it. <laughs> this is a wacky feather sticking out of it. I'm Dan Aykroyd. This is the peak of my comedy. Here is Mel Purvis's boater. And Mel Purvis was the FBI agent who killed John Dillinger. Remember that old series, The Untouchables, with Robert Stack? Lee, Rico, Youngblood, bring the car around by the back. We're going to talk to Mr. Nitty tonight. Maybe that doll down there at the drugstore can tell us what she knows, but I don't think we're going to get much out of her. All right. Remember that? That was a terrific show. It's the absolute flying by the seat of your pants. Okay, how much time do I have to fill? <laughs> Fuck. All right. I guess I'll just talk about whatever the hell until that time's over, I guess. Oh my it's a really God. interesting watch. Is, uh, is what I'm trying to say. And that's what the intro well. was a reference to, was uh, to the Al TV uh, intros. Al and all that shit was life back then, for real. It reminded me of, like, just the spontaneity, especially, that we just don't have in how, like, MTV is like, hey, we're just gonna play a video, but you don't know what video, you know? And it's like, there's a, there's a sense of discovering shit that oh, way. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like large swaths of my childhood was spent just kind of, like, on the channel MTV. Like, I remember so many times I would wake up in the morning, like at 6 a.m., just to watch music videos. And when you think about it, it is the weirdest thing because it's like, it's not guaranteeing you anything. It's just kind of like, well, let's just see what what comes out of the box this time, you know? Like, could be a rock video, could be a hip-hop video, could be a techno video. Like, you just kind of don't know. Like, th there is something just enjoyable about that, and it's like, man, how did they screw that up? Because who doesn't enjoy that? It really is funny you bring that up of, like, the... I might spend an hour watching this channel, and I might not like any of it, <laughs> yeah. but <laughs> that's just kind of part of it. <laughs> yeah, it really is like a, um, you know, I really enjoyed the show Twilight Zone uh, when I was younger, and part of it is that feeling of just like, hey, all the motherfuckers could die in this episode, you don't know what could happen, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, every 20 like, minutes, what the fuck? yeah, every 20 minutes, it's new stakes, so you don't know what could happen, you know, and there's a bit of enjoyment to that, you know what I mean? <laughs> Pearl Jam versus the man who uh, sold the world. <laughs> Begin! <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't even ask. Do you want to start with versus? Uh, yeah, or let's start Bowie? with versus. Let's start with versus, yeah. They just put out 10. It's one of the biggest fucking smash rock albums of the early 90s, and Pearl Jam becomes a fucking household name instantaneously. Yeah, I didn't realize how early in the 90s this was. This is like 91. And I, I was just recently doing the uh, Billboard uh, Top 100 joints, and I, I just happened, we just happened to be on 1993, and so I was like, oh, hey, let's throw in, you know, the Pearl Jam songs that didn't chart, like, what the fuck? But then I was just realizing, like, wait, 93, that means the, the first album with Jeremy, that was 91? I was like, oh, shit. Pop culture was so craved for grunge and that whole aesthetic, and Pearl Jam fit it to a T that 
they were a bit more accessible than Nirvana. Like, yeah, I see that. Yeah. Fucking Eddie Vedder isn't unpredictable like Kurt Cobain was. Right. You know, he he was a bit more reined in. And they fucking ran them through the goddamn ringer, and they were just so fucking exhausted. And the cover of the of the CD version, anyway, which I think is more powerful than the um than the LP version, yeah, I gotta love it. is just this sheep just shoving its face <laughs> through a fucking fence, and you're just, just seeing trying the, to the get out, being bared, <laughs> and, and you can't see its eyes. It's just like ah. <laughs> this was apparently um, a visual metaphor of how. Pearl Jam felt on their record label <laughs> of just please let us the fuck out of this. Ah. This is an extremely aggressive album lashing out in so many different directions. Oh no doubt. <laughs> I was so bowled over by this album. Then <laughs> I'm gonna start kicking air like this. Uh, and if any part of you should fill that air, uh, it's your own fault. People in my life the record label, society, politics, you're all fucking getting these hands. And I've enjoyed Pearl Jam before, and I like some singles off 10. I've never really been big into Pearl Jam. No lie. I fucking went online and I bought this goddamn CD after, <laughs> after I listened to it and reviewed it. Because if all of Pearl Jam's music was like this, holy shit, this album is so fucking good. Oh my god. God. Oh my goodness, so in your face, so intense, just different colors in every single song. Like, I went into this being like, this is going to be that genre where everything sounds very crunchy and very, you know, dense sounding, you know what I mean? And it's just like, oh, that's, like, it's kind of there, but there's so much more to it that it's just like, like, this is in no, like, I see why this is related to Nirvana, but this is so different from it. Like, I... I, I don't see how you could actually compare, though. You know, like... <laughs> they definitely broke away from that. And I didn't even mention, by the way, that this was re uh, requested by Sig. Thank you, Sig. Yeah, this album, right out of the gate, lets you know that this is going to be a very different experience than 10 with Go, where it's funky and it's faster. Like, it's kind of got a little punk to it. And... It's just, ooh, wow. A lot of the meaning of these songs is kind of up in the air. Only yeah, a couple I wasn't of sure them are, like, concrete. <laughs> I don't know. I just like the fucking go fuck. <laughs> it's like you see where it's going, and then later it's suck my. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's like, I I've never would have guessed that this is, a, like, this is fucking Pearl Jam? Like, yeah, I could tell because it's Eddie Vedder and I know his voice. But holy shit, this is like a totally different attitude than on the last album. Holy shit. Some of these songs, like, didn't sound, like, I wouldn't have thought of this as grunge. I would have just thought of it as, like, oh, it's sort of, like, alternative, I guess, you know? Yeah, like like the song Daughter. Like, the only reason that really sounds grunge is because his Overly burly sounding voice, you know, like, don't call me daughter, not fit to. <laughs> that kept throwing me up a little bit, you know, because it just sounds like this, this is like big burly man's like, don't call me daughter. <laughs> it's like, I, I wasn't going to. <laughs> I think it might apply to this one too. And again, reading into a little bit of the history, the way this album was produced, uh, Eddie Vedder specifically hated the fuck out of it. And it was more or less just the, the environment they were in, they were put in like a super comfy. We kind of talked about this a little bit with the um, the Pink Floyd album, 
like they established themselves as a big fuck deal with 10. So now in the follow up, they really want to catch that lightning in the bottle again. So we're going to try to give you like the best environment for you to be artists and work and put out your stuff. And Eddie Vedder is like, I don't want this. Like, this is too cushy. Oh, and no. Too... He, he's, he, he got the dream of what an artist gets, and he's like, uh-oh, this was too easy. Now I'm not inspired. <laughs> but only one song in particular is um, directly in reference to uh, their current situation, which is the other uh, most highest-rated song I have, um, because Go was a very high-rated song for me. And tying it is Blood. Oh, Blood is so intense. Blood is the most grunge-sounding track. <laughs> it's my blood! Like, he's so mad on this <laughs> song. He's so fucking frustrated. When you think about what Daughter is about, it's it's really angry. Yeah. Um, and then the sort of uh, sequel song that a lot of people said, Rearview Mirror. I'ma put this whole fucking town in my wheel view. The only ones you really ever get radio play are the way more easy to digest uh, daughter and elderly woman behind the counter in a small town, which I really like both of them anyway. Oh yeah, probably the greatest song on the album, honestly. Like just that moment of like really realizing what it's about, like the nuance and intricate moment of what it is and just like, oh, like, you know, it's about this person who's like, yeah, I'm coming back to a hometown and seeing someone who's like, oh, your life was just determined by you already living here and being stuck in these circumstances. Oh, it just kind of hits your gut. And the way it's so soft with the hearts and thoughts, they fade, fade away. It's just like, oh, <laughs> it really hits you. It really hits you. But yeah, they, they go all over the fucking place on this album, dude. Um... Fucking now at first I, I didn't enjoy the songs as much. I thought it was gonna be like a, oh this is gonna be like okay like like the first three tracks honestly like I was cool with but it did like grab me. Uh I I didn't even like glorify G as much. It felt a little like oddly laid back for us for the topic of what it's about, you know what I mean? And it, it wasn't until Dissident and especially WMA where I just like my eyes had just like woken up where I was like, oh, they're not fucking playing on this album. White male American. Oh, Jesus Christ. I was like, go ahead, Pearl Jam. Shit. With a fucking uh, song about the police. Uh, with those fucking lyrics like, he won the lottery with that voice when he was born. <laughs> <laughs> the way they fucking train oh and the way he teases that with the next lyric is like took his mother's white breast to his tongue trained like dogs color and smell walks by me to get to him police man in the metaphor of like you know you guys are trained like dogs to act like dogs you know like because you you know you, you treat people based on color and shit and I was like oh fuck and then when it hits that hook with the fucking drums going off in the percussion police to my brother again I was like, oh, fucking shit, let's rage! Uh, LA-92! <laughs> oh my god, I couldn't, I couldn't take it. There are some songs where it's more straightforward, and it's just easier to grasp because of it, but then there's other songs, like, yeah, WMA, where it's got, like, the, the metaphor, and it kind of makes you think of, like, what leads to what. In total, the songs I gave the lower ratings too because i didn't hate any of these songs I'm just go go ahead and say that uh glorified g one of the band members had bought a gun and he had written the song just sort of like off of things that he had heard throughout the conversation and it really 
kind like whereas in other songs the abstract nature of it kind of works with how it's working like this kind of felt just just too mealy mouth to really yeah. like get a full grasp on what the perspective was you know what like I mean? okay so a member of the group bought a gun someone was like you bought a gun and he's like hey actually i bought two it's like okay so all this is kind of gonna go yeah, in there starts yeah and so there's people in the group who are arguing about that but none of that is in the song like the argument isn't and like why yeah. they don't like guns isn't really in there it's just kind of mocking people who like guns but doesn't really tell you why they're doing it yeah and, and just like the hook of just like you know you hear these very open sounding corn it's like like this doesn't sound like you know, appointed. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's very catchy. The I like that, but overall, like, eh. Rats only because for me it's a less memorable track. For me, I like Rats, but it's one of those songs where it's just like, like, oh yeah, this had the music video for it. Like, oh yeah, this probably would have been my favorite song. They don't compare to do rats that far. Like, that would have been so cool to like sing it. But then it's just like having that moment of like, so what is this song actually about? Because he's saying that rats don't do these things, but these are things that rats do. And I'm just like, I don't understand, but I mean, I'm rocking out to it, but I'm just not sure what's happening. Like, they're, they're so lowly, but we're so much worse than rats. Like, okay. He's saying like, oh, they don't sit where they're not supposed to. They don't take what's not this. Like, but they do. But they do, though. <laughs> there are so many things you could say they don't do. Why? Like, they, they don't do a lot of things is the thing. Yeah, it, How are you it, still it, tripping <laughs> over the things they do? I was thinking, like, if I listen to it, maybe it's going to be like, a, oh, they don't do this thing. And if you think about it, like, uh, you know, uh, I guess if you think about it, they don't take what's not theirs. It's like, oh, well, if you think about it, I guess nothing belongs to anybody. So when they take food, it's just them get, trying to survive, I guess. And, and it's human beings who take what they're not supposed to, right? Like rats aren't like, greedy. Think, they only take what they need kind of mentality. But, like, I, we take I more guess. than we need. Like... I think rats hoard, though, don't they? Like, that's still kind of... <laughs> it's not exactly one for <laughs> it's one. It's like, it, it almost works, but it's, it's like, it's like he didn't think well enough about how you could write something to be like, oh, you would think that's a rat thing, but when you think about it, that's actually a human thing. Like, no, these are just rats things that you're saying they don't do, but they do, and I don't understand. <laughs> it still rocks out, I just don't understand. <laughs> like, he's trying to be an advocate for them, but he's not realizing that he's just saying the things that they do, which is just reinforcing that <laughs> again another track where it fucking brings the funk in <clears throat> and it's not something i'd associate right away with pearl jam is oh yeah it's fucking funky as hell but no there's fucking songs on here that surprise the hell out of you and i didn't think this album ended the strongest with leash or indifference i actually feel like the first half of the album didn't grip me as much as the second half did I'm the opposite of that entirely. Interesting. Because, yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed uh, Leash. I like how that one sort of rocked with, uh, and especially, like, just, like, it was one, another one of those songs, like, I don't really know what it's about, but, like, it sounds like, like, in general, this album kind of sounds like it could be from the perspective of different animals. That That's kind of yeah. the thing that I was getting mm -hmm. a make. You know, you see the album cover, and I was like, oh, maybe this is what it's saying, like, yeah, let us off the leash, fuck you, drop the leash, drop the leash, get out of my fucking face. <laughs> Blood kind of could work into that too oh, yeah. if you're talking about like slaughter and stuff like that mm -hmm. it, that could apply 
And I enjoyed Indifference, like, uh, and it was one of those, like, as I was listening to the lyrics, I was really enjoying what it was about. Like, the idea of, like, oh, man, you do as much as you can, but does it ultimately make a difference? Like, are we doing anything when you look at it in the grand scheme of things? Like, just having that stuckness, that that feeling, I think it really encapsulated that in a very interesting way. So I do like that that's a thought you end an album on. Like, mm, yeah. it's kind of like a ellipses. Like, After all the anger, yeah. Yeah, it's like, what did that really accomplish? All that, all that rage. What did that really like? We're still where we're at. We're still on this label. We're still doing these shit we don't want to do. Leash kind of had the same quality of glorified G to me, where it was like it didn't really say anything specific. Like, yeah. hey, I'm mad. Leave mm-hmm. me alone. It's basically just what I, it's what I just got from that. It was just get out of my fucking face. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I think animal was also a, another one where we're just kind of like, what is he saying here? Five, four, three, two, one. It's it's five against one, and and it's like, yeah, but why? What? <laughs> if animal didn't rock so fucking hard though, like again, I even have it written down that said, I don't know what the fuck it means, but damn, to go from go and animal two of your most fucking intense tracks and then you just turn that knob all the way back down for daughter holy shit let's go to the contemporary radio and the <laughs> fact that i didn't care like i wasn't right? like oh come on where's the fucking i was like no i really like this song i'm here for it i don't care where it lands on the album i'm gonna listen to it regardless the lyrics of daughter which are so like they just kind of bring you in because they they just feel like you're giving you little clips of what's happening and not like the full picture you know like just alone listless breakfast table in an otherwise empty room young girl and then violins like the way he says that where you're not sure if he's saying violence Violins or, or violence yeah, yeah and it just like it gives you that off-color moment of like wait what is happening in this you know what is going down here you know what i mean uh yeah, yeah, and, and just how it, it the verse ends up, like, Painted Room can't deny there's something wrong. It's like, oh, and, oh, and at the bridge, specifically the lyric where she says, she holds the hand that holds her down. She will rise above, like, the way it, like, it kind of starts like it's about to go soft, but then it kind of, like, bangs right at that part a little yeah. bit, you know what I mean? Like, I really, I was just like, in, in a way that makes you think about what was just happening, or like, Oh shit! Okay, you're trying to say something here. Okay, like I, I think this song would hit that much harder if there was like a female uh, singer singing this. You know what I mean? I can like, see that. Yeah. Yeah. My mind has a messed up trajectory of like where I assumed this album was released because in my head, you know, I I'm, I came to prominence, you know, of pop culture around like what, like maybe like. 2000 to 2002 and that's around the time i remember watching like the band music videos and you're like oh look at this madonna video of like this guy stripping but he eventually rips off his flesh and oh look at this video of like you know the stand video of like oh it's it's kind of like you know uh homoerotic in the narrative so people thought it was kind of weird like that sort of thing like you know and it involves you know throwing a woman in a freaking <laughs> a pregnant woman in <laughs> a trunk you know um <laughs> But yeah, I remember seeing like, uh, there was, so I can't remember what it was called, but it was like, you know, MTV's most, you know, band videos, most band videos or something like that. It was like, you know, the it, videos we can't play during the day. And like, I think Andrew WK like hosted it or something like that. And I remember seeing, I remember seeing the Jeremy video and how it's about like, oh, this, like this song's about a school shooting. And in my 2002 mind, like I thought that song had come out a lot, like more recently than it did. <laughs> Because, like, my brain, you know, is in, like, Columbine mode in 99. So I'm thinking, oh, did that song come out, like, around then and was, like, a commentary? It was like, oh, that was 91? <laughs> like, it, it had happened in a time when 
like gun like, that violence was a shocking thing right like it, it wasn't a thing that people really thought about because there was like a couple of school shootings in like the 80s and then there was a really long stretch before columbine like columbine was the first like mass school shooting and jeremy isn't even a school shooting it's just one kid kills himself and doesn't hurt anybody else so you don't really think it's going there yeah, like, it's so interesting that, because I remember this song being used as a personification of school shootings, but when you think about it, it's like, yeah, it doesn't even really function that way, and yeah, he just kind of kills himself, and yeah. I remember thinking that that's what's so weird about that video, is that in an effort to censor it, they zoomed in really fucking far on, like, the kid's upper half of his face, so you don't see him put the gun in his mouth. And it looks grainy as hell because you're zooming in really far on this picture. Now. Yeah. And then the next thing you see are kids splattered in blood. So you really don't know what is supposed to have happened there. Like it messes with the message of like, so did he just shoot all these kids? Like what happened? Yeah, I remember like not being sure. And, and maybe that's what it is. It's like the ambiguity of the video makes it seem like, well, it could be about him shooting up the school and then killing himself. You know what I mean? Because yeah, they just kind of show blood and you don't really see directly what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Now, Dr. Goatman, no stranger to right, going Dr. off. Goatman. VIP, uh, if you look on the Kofi right now, it's like Dr. Goatman and Shenna have requested, like, <laughs> the most albums on the show. You know what I was just thinking about, though, as I was listening to this album? So, uh, I've been watching the Venture Brothers, and of course I'm, you know, coming oh. up with any excuse to bring up the Venture Brothers. So, within the show, it's kinda canon that David Bowie is, like, the main villain of the, that universe. Oh! <laughs> and, like, but it's, like, that genius writing that the show has where it's, like, they're not, te like, technically they didn't out-and-out out say it because the characters don't, like, out-and-out out admit to it, but it's one of those things where it's just, like, Nah, you kind of get it, though. <laughs> like, David mm. Bowie is apparently this shape-shifting, uh, uh, you know, traveler from another world who is, oh. who is just making mischief on our Earth. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, wow. That totally works, because he's, like, playing a, like, fucking supervillain in a sci-fi epic in this goddamn thing. Like, I I'm one of those people who, again, I only heard, like, the singles of David Bowie and shit like that, and so I didn't realize how intricate and deep these fucking storytelling and all this shit really gets, man. God damn. The very first track, eight minute fucking epic, right? <laughs> and, you know, I'm listening to this track like, oh, wow. Oh, man, this is really cool. And then I look at, happen to glance over the album cover, and I'm like, David Bowie's in, in a dress? Wait, what's happening right now? In the first song, he has the lyric where he's like, brings it up. He's like, oh, this isn't just an aesthetic choice. This is a fucking narrative decision. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, he says, I so long and I waved bye bye and I smashed my soul and traded my mind, got laid by a young bordello who was vaguely half asleep, for which my reputation swept back home and drag in the morals of my, this magic spell, negotiate my hide when God did take my logic for a ride and then just rocks out and i was like whoa <laughs> it's like we're fucking jetting off into the fucking ether right now <laughs> going into that wild blue yonder we're hitting fucking warp speed i like how this album takes what what we listened to on the last album where it's still kind of it's still a little folky at points but it also it, it's it's right at that cross section of the folk and blues stuff where especially like the, the like the first track is a really good example of that in how the whole first half is more folky and then almost halfway through 
Like it switches to the bow, 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 oh, right. yeah. and you're like, whoa, okay. And you, those dizzying guitar vibrato parts, the whoa, wee, 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 wee. <laughs> it's so fucking weird how we went from this guy who got signed specifically because Space Oddity was such a strange song and everyone loved it. And then it was like, oh, well, you, you got to put out an album. And it was like, well, I don't want to do a whole bunch of that. I'm just going to put out this, you know, meager kind of folky album and throw that hit single on there so it'll sell and it doesn't sell anyway because people already heard the single and then it's like well okay okay um maybe i do want to do some like branch out a little bit more and we're gonna make this more of like a rock album than the last one and we're gonna get a whole bunch of musicians involved here and kind of make the sound that much bigger and it still doesn't sell because the out because the record label didn't promote it and it's like okay Okay, do you want me to succeed here or not? So you liked this single, you liked this weird out there single, so I tried to give you a little bit more of that, and you still didn't even promote it. What the fuck do you want from me at that point? But this album, it's hit and kinda miss, like half miss? Because I think when when the songs hit, they hit pretty well and we'll we'll get to my favorite one later um the songs i think are a little bit weaker are the ones that just kind of like you know what it is i think it's like this there are songs on here that elevate you know pop and rock music to such olympian heights that like there are other songs where it's just like well if you're not doing that then it's gonna not it's gonna feel like a step down <laughs> the songs i gave the lower ratings to were black country rock yeah, I, I, and I can see that, yeah. And She Shook Me Cold, which are pretty much straightforward blues cuts. Yeah. And not really... The only thing that makes them Bowie is his vocals. Yeah, his them. voice. Just that distinct British gentleman voice of his. And what I do appreciate about it is that like there is an honesty to it, because there were so many, you know, rock musicians doing, like, you know, black dedicated music that where they're trying to do a black voice, and, like, he is specifically not doing that, you know? like The thing that's interesting about both Black Country Rock and She Shook Me Cold is that they are both not only kind of generic, but they're also intentionally derivative. Black Country Rock is Bowie doing an impression of the lead singer of T-Rex, and that was kind of like a, hey, apparently he was known for doing a good impression of, like, I didn't pick up on that. Uh, right? like, I listened yeah, to the song and <laughs> I didn't, I thought it sounded a little different. I was like, I was like, hmm, it sounds like he's doing a little something with his voice here. It doesn't sound like it did in the last two. I wouldn't have think, oh, he's a dead ringer for yeah. the lead singer of T-Rex. And on um, She Shook Me Cold, uh, Mark Ronson, the um, guitarist for the group, was hanging out with Bowie and his wife, and a Zeppelin song came on the radio. And Bowie's wife said, um, I bet you could write a better blues rock song than that. <laughs> so they basically just wrote their version of a Zeppelin song. like, And it really, it is that. Like, yeah, it's yeah. just a Zeppelin song, essentially, but 
I don't think it's as good as like a Zeppelin song because it, you could t- it's it's a fucking pastiche. It's like a Weird Al style parody. It's not the it's not the authentic genuine article. Yeah. Although I did say I enjoyed at the end where he says uh, where he sounds like a madman. He's like, "You can wave me and my friends a fond adieu," and he does that ah, like a goat or something like that. <laughs> and it sounds like like the recording like just captured it as it like was fading out. You know, but it's such a great touch. I love the personality. I love when Bowie yeah. interjects the, that that type of shit. You fall in love with the personality of the madness on this album, like because uh, uh, I think it was all oh, the Mad Men. That's the one where oh, the, the loony flute, the puffy sort of music comes in with the sounds like a circus. And and he has that lyric where he says, "No point in getting high because it's so far down, you know, out here." And I think wasn't this the one where he talks about like a, "I'd rather stay here with all the madmen than perish with the sad men roaming free." <laughs> Just like that realization of what he's saying, you know. What's really fascinating about this one is that it is a song written about his brother. Ooh. And that his brother was admitted to a mental hospital. But he didn't really have any particular issues. Mm. He just liked it better in there. Oh, yeah, because that's what the song felt like it was about. So, (laughs) wow, that's weird that that's true. He would be let out every so often, and he would come home, and he would see Dave, and he'd see the the family, and he'd hang out for a while, and just be like, nah. I'm going to go back. And he would just go back. Whoa. I mean, you know, I'm like, especially with 2020 eyes, like, we know mental health facilities weren't exactly the best back then. No, but still, it's like, I mean, I'm getting shelter. I'm getting fed. Like, it's still better than, you know, being out on the street. Like, at least you're, you know, you got a roof over your head. So when there's lyrics in the song of, like, I tell him I'm a danger to myself and others. Mm, I'm, I'm a I will to the break wall. my arm. <laughs> Yeah, and, like, all of that is just, like, I'm just gonna act like I think they want me to, so they keep me here. And I love that. Like, it's such an it's such an interesting story, and David was like, yeah, I mean, like, this, you know, like, he, he was talking about it, like, yeah, you know, it's just this thing he does. <laughs> like, he didn't really seem to think, like, it was weird or anything. Yeah, you know, he, he just liked it better there, whatever. There's another hint of familiarity on this track in particular. You mentioned the kind of lofty, airy flute. This track reminds me a lot of very early Pink Floyd, like first, second album, still Sid Barrett at the helm, um, where all of it just kind of sounds like it's just kind of going to fly off the fucking record player and just like, this shit's just out there, man. (laughs) Exactly. We're going on a journey through the magical land of elves and... So much of that first and like those first few Pink Floyd albums just make you feel uneasy of just like a <laughs> this just feels weird and i feel like like it's making me anxious because of how like where am i right now what's happening <laughs> why does the music feel like it's levitating me <laughs> a lot of that stuff makes it feel like someone just has their hands on your shoulders and are just rocking you like <laughs> could please stop it's <laughs> like it's too much oh my god leave me alone speaking of creepy we get to after all one of my favorite joints on this Ooh. one. Um, yeah, which sounds like it's from the perspective of a kid who's slowly figuring out that adults have no real authority. <laughs> like, uh, like you hear the lyric where he says, the thought had occurred where nobody's children at all. 
and you just hear the airy shit after all. And it's just like, oh my god, you know, live till your rebirth and do what you will. Oh, bye, Jingo. <laughs> The fucking oh by Jingo is so goddamn creepy. Um, so Bowie at this time was reading a lot of uh, Nietzsche. Oh, and <laughs> getting getting a real uh, cerebral. Cere- this is cerebral pop music. This isn't your dad's pop music. It's funny if you read it up on Genius. He says that um yeah I was in this phase where I was reading Nietzsche and I thought I understood it. So he's trying to apply a lot of those kind of nihilistic kind of mentality to songs like um after all specifically mm. uh the, the supermen uh, okay is, yeah is a take off the theory or the concept of the ubermensch mm-hmm. which is a nietzsche um of course thing. Yeah. i i don't read nietzsche so i don't know maybe someone in the comments can can help but yeah <laughs> let's, it's let's act like we know yeah yeah, yeah, go yeah on, let's <laughs> fucking i mean if, if it's good enough for bowie it's good enough for me so he's trying to apply these concepts and I don't know if it works in the mm. context of being a direct reference. I know it works in the way of it just being effective. Yeah, creeping me right the fuck out. <laughs> and how this is absolutely a one-two punch of the juxtaposition of the music and the lyrics between After All and Running Gun Blues. Ooh, Running of Gun just, Blues. After All, you're, t- you're singing, you know, very up and cheery kind of... Like, the way you're singing is very cheery, mm-hmm. but then the music is so dweary, and it's like a fucking dirge. And the way they're just chanting Oh by Jingo, which I wouldn't have known as a novelty song from 1919, that he's just referencing in this yeah, song. Of I, like, I thought hey. it was, it's one of those things where, like, you don't know what they're saying at first, and you're saying, Oh by what? And then when you realize, it's just like, I don't know what that means, but that just makes it sound weirder. <laughs> And the thing there is, hey, what would what would be really creepy over this fucking creepy instrumental is if I put a fucking reprise of this like old as fuck novelty song of like, <laughs> hey, here's this more cheery shit, especially sung through the weird ass, you know, creakly uh, uh, British voice he uses there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and Running Gun Blues is the same of where vocals are very kind of. Um, upbeat. I mean, there's just a certain timbre to his voice in the song, yeah. But the fucking lyrics, though. Oh my god. Oh no. It's like, heads! I'll bomb them out from under their beds, but now I've got the running gun blues. Like, <laughs> like oh whoa. no, I feel so bad for you. Right? But <laughs> oh it... no, not you and your running gun blues. It's such a perfect, like, type of song where you immediately get what, what the commentary they're saying here, you know? <laughs> The part I quoted was the, it seems the peacefuls stopped the war, left left generals squashed and stifled, but I'll slip out again tonight, because they they haven't haven't taken back back my my rifle, rifle. (laughs) for I promote oblivion, and I'll plug a few civilians. Whoa! And yeah, so when it starts off, it's like, oh, it's the good soldier doing what he's supposed to do when he kills, you know, the, the people we tell him to. But then it's like... <laughs> we, we tell him to stop, and oh, he just decides to ignore that. <laughs> just keeps killing anyway. Yeah, I don't think Bowie was known oh, for... What a song. 
explicitly political and like protesty songs, but right. this right the fuck here, how this doesn't get brought up in conversation of like Vietnam era right protest oh stuff. It fuck the song legitimately ends with the sounds of bombs being dropped. Ooh, like it's chilling. It's so chilling. And it doesn't get much better with Savior Machine. <laughs> ah, holy shit, fucking Savior Machine. I goddamn love this song. Oh, man. And, you know, not It help- makes me hate She Shook Me Cold that much more. <laughs> because you fucking went from After All to Running Gun Blues to Savior Machine. And then you're, hey, you know, we wrote this kind of, uh, this kind of bluesy rock song. It's kind of like a joke. And, uh, why is it here? <laughs> why is it here, Bowie? It fucks up the momentum entirely. And it just, it just didn't feel good hearing him say, like, first off, like, you know, here's this lyrics about, you know, a futuristic world in which we're all screwed. And he starts off by saying, President Joe once had a dream of, like, oh, Oh, God damn it, no. Oh, no, I didn't even catch that. Oh, Bowie, no. You done did it. You uh, done predicted it. And yeah. AI, uh, artificial intelligence. What did you know? Yeah, but he says, uh, you know, he talks about the, the saving machine. They called it the prayer. Its answer was law. Its logic stopped war. Gave them food. How they adored it till they cried, till it cried in its boredom. Please don't believe in me. Please disagree with me. The way like the violins come in, just like build up what's happening. You know what I mean? Life is too easy. A plague seems quite feasible now. Or maybe a war. I may kill you all. Like oh my god, it's so intense. <laughs> So unlikely uh, concept of an artificial <laughs> intelligence um, that a lot of people put a lot of faith in and believe it's going to be the source of all the it's going to be the uh, the solution to all their problems. And it does for a little while until it becomes self-aware and mm-hmm. starts to think for itself. And it's like, wait a second. No, 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 no. You really shouldn't be putting all this faith in me. I can really, I can fuck all of you over at any second, and I might just do it. <laughs> like, holy right. shit. It's so amazing. And it gets so chaotic towards the end, to oh, the music. Oh, man. Don't stake your dreams on a savior machine. Goddamn. <laughs> uh, and then she shook me cold. Then... Yeah. The man who sold the world. The man my favorite who sold cut. the world. Your face. Two face. <laughs> man, I hate to say it, but like, if you were to pick up a greatest hits or something, I I think you'd still be getting a really good experience of Bowie. Like, yeah, you're missing a lot of these deep cuts, and you mm. are doing yourself a disservice. But goddamn, the fucking singles are all. So fucking good. They're all <laughs> so strong, like changes and oh, yeah. fucking life on Mars and the man who sold the world. I I went into this and I was like, I really hope the man who sold the world isn't my favorite cut on the album because <laughs> it's the fucking title track and it's the song everyone knows off of it. It's probably the only song most people know off this because all the other cuts on this are pretty much deep cuts. <laughs> and I'm walking away like, nope. It's still the fucking catchiest song in the whole fucking album. <laughs> it's still my goddamn favorite. Couldn't help it. I always wondered what the name of that one instrument was, where it just sounds like you're dragging something, like when you beat like a like a stick against a fence. Which oh, you like, mean like the percussion instruments where where you hear like a like that sort of thing that was happening underneath? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. 
I've heard it my whole life, and I was like, what the fuck is that? I learned it's called a guiro, because Genius was nice enough to let me know who did all the instrumentation on the album, and I was like, ah, oh, okay, what, which instrument doesn't doesn't ring a bell to me? Guiro? Yeah, what's that? Look at a picture? That's it! That's the motherfucker right there! That looks like what that would be. <laughs> because, yeah, it's like the... Oh my god. Mm. And it's got everything. It's got the most iconic fucking riff on the song. <laughs> and we somehow, we went full circle to goddamn grunge and Nirvana. Where <laughs> right? you look up the man who sold the world. The goddamn Nirvana cover is more well known than the goddamn original. Um... But then it got that electric organ, just the do 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 in the background, and the the aforementioned guitar, and so much. And when they all just kind of come together towards the end, oh, oh, it's so good. It's got so much going on. It's so fucking good. And this song in particular, I think, kind of gives you the biggest glimpse of what Bowie is about to be, <laughs> just oh, yeah. like as an artist. Of just, I don't know who I am, really. And it's like, uh-oh, here we go. Almost every album after this, we're gonna get Bowie either playing a character or some, like, hyper-exaggerated yeah. characteristic of himself. I sound sarcastic when I say that, but I really am for all of those anyway. I think it's cool. But that's the first kind of glimpse you get of the, you know, you're face-to-face with the man who sold the world. And you're listening to it for a while, and then it kind of dawns on you that, like, he's talking to himself, or the character in the song is talking to themselves. Like, the album starts off talking like that, you know, where he's saying, oh, I met, my, I met a monster and it was me. <laughs> the fact that you got the Superman at the end of the album, though, is kind of weird, because he'd have nice bookends thematically. Superman is wild. Yeah, with, the, um, with that fucking live-ass percussion that starts it, man. Holy shit, the song, man. This is this was the quote. I was still going through the thing when I was pretending that I understood Nietzsche, and I had tried to translate it into my own terms to understand it. So Superman came out of that. So I'm not familiar with the concept of the Ubermensch and all of that, but what we basically got here is Bowie takes it and turns it on its ear and creates this legend of these race of supermen that were here before us. Like, you kind of picture, like, maybe, like, a race of giants or something. Like, they're just talking about, you know, living and what it's like being immortal, essentially. But then it kind of slips and it's like... I don't want to be immortal anymore. This sucks. I wish I could die. And then finally, the end of the song is like the release, like that escape they wanted for so long. Of like, oh my god, thank god I can die finally. Like this thing that we assume to be what you would love to happen, them absolutely just hating it. <laughs> Maybe that's why um, it's super, super villains like this do what they do. It's like somebody kill me. Hey, will someone stop me already? <laughs> Who's going to stop me? Seriously, I, I want to know. <laughs> I got another four here. Oh, I I gave this one a five, yes. solid. I the, the the few songs on here that fell a little short, the kind of more generic ones, 
they ended up kind of slipping a little bit for me and the ones I wasn't as strong about. I'm not going to tell people what to request, but if we ended up going in order of Bowie releases, <laughs> I would be so fucking here for that. Y'all have I'd no be idea. Happy. <laughs> if we did fucking hun- if we did Hunky Dory next, yo, I'd be I'd be down for that. I like that. I like the trip um, to current day because we already did the last one. Yeah, we're going through the David Bowie Odyssey. Look at that. <laughs> we already fucking did Black Star. Might as well start yeah. over from the beginning. That's true. It really is like a tale. Listening to this podcast has been like a, 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 getting the sideways journey through David Bowie's discography. <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to Black Star and you're watching the music video where like he's like got the headband across his eyes and everything and like. Yep, that's me. You're probably wondering how I ended up in this situation. Having mentioned the requests, uh, that's why we were talking about David Bowie and Pearl Jam this week. That's right. Um, out of our typical regular rotation of the uh, the hip hop releases, and and um, stuff usually from this you know decade generally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, usually. <laughs> um, but that's the beauty of it. And if there is an album that you would like to request us to review. It is a one-time $60 pledge on our Ko-fi that is ko-fi.com slash going off. And if you recorded an album yourself and you'd like to hear our thoughts on it, that is a one-time $70 pledge. And also, uh, if you want to request a uh, movie or song to review, that's also, uh, you can go to, well, either one of the Ko-fis, but (laughs) yeah, you can can support it on there. And... uh... I was actually just thinking, like, the fact that, uh, yeah, looking at the album list, like, it's so freaking long, but I was like, well, people could request movie lists, maybe I should, I should put that out there more, because, <laughs> you know, it's like, people, there are people who want to support the show, and they're just like, well, I mean, I, I want to support it, but there's like 80 things on there, but the movie one will come up quicker, so, <laughs> if you want to request a movie, uh, that, that's, uh, that, that's definitely an option for you, on the Review a New Podcast, where you can do that, but, you know, it all goes to the... Generally the same people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've got a very interesting list ahead of us. So if you want to add a favorite album of yours or some weird oddity, obscura thing that you would just like to hear our thoughts on or bring to our attention something we probably wouldn't have ever listened to otherwise, that happens uh, pretty frequently. Or, or if you have a really popular album that you're like, uh, they better like what I like or else I'm going to leave a hateful comment. <laughs> you know, you can do that too. <laughs> you know, the world is your oyster. Who are we going to, who are we to tell you what we just, we merely make suggestions, but what you request is ultimately up to you. And until next time for going off, I'm Muse. And I'm Rap Critic. And hey, all you landlords. Drop the rent, drop the rent, and get out of my fucking face. Drop the rent, drop the rent. <laughs>